with another episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance. A Well, sometimes we do it twice because we're nice. Sometimes we do it once because we're fun. But a show in which we go over wrestling uh, news and uh, kind of give reviews from the last week. Uh, we obviously went over a bunch of stuff on Thursday. Had a Thursday show. That was uh, something we hadn't done in a while. And now we got a little bit to talk about, you know, today uh, with the Wednesday Night Wars and... Uh, a very unique SmackDown, I would say, from last night. But before we get into that mix, let me introduce my amazing co-host, Brother Christopher A. Patton. I think I should start calling you Christopher Patton, or, you know, just because maybe people don't understand why I do the Brother Christopher A. Patton thing. I don't know. It's a shtick at this point, but long-time listeners will know. How you doing, man? Get the tables, Dane. Because <laughs> we're putting everybody through them. Uh, I'm doing great, man. It's been a, it's, uh, you know, it's been a weird week, but, uh, you know, a good week for me at least. And, uh, obviously send fillings out to anyone who's dealing with this craziness and, uh, social distancing and all that. But, uh, yeah, I've been having a good week, man. How about you? You know, uh, went to the grocery store. It was a nightmare yesterday, uh, to say the least. Uh, but I was able to get, you know, stock up on some food. Me and my roommates, we're all working together and going to be a little bit less uh, busy at work uh, in the next couple weeks. But, hey, you got to deal with what you got to deal with. There's a lot of stuff going on. And I just wanted to tell our fans out there and uh, just, you know, as of right now, WWE is doing their thing with the Performance Center. All NXTs will be at the Performance Center. That was an announcement that I saw online uh, from here on out. Um, Got to realize that as long as outbreaks don't get so bad and they keep on testing over there, they should be good. And most of the wrestlers, I think, in the fucking world live in Florida. So they're able to do a lot of stuff there. Uh, Rob's going to be on that. I'm just saying, and AEW is actually going to a kind of closed location to do their shows uh, going forward. They canceled two more shows in the future. Everyone's taking precaution, and I think it makes a lot of sense. I personally, really at this point, do not want WrestleMania to go on, um, just because, and I know that it, this is a uh, a game between a game uh, between basically the city of Tampa that has to cut the loss if they cancel it on their end, and Vince McMahon has to cut the loss basically if he cancels it on his end. So they're reviewing it for a week, and if, it, if Vince hasn't made a decision, the city of Tampa will make their decision for it, and most likely based on the governor of Florida, they're going to cancel it. Me having, you know, and a lot of people, having parents in their 60s, my dad actually, uh, it was his birthday yesterday, uh, you know, so happy birthday, Pops. They live in Florida, so I don't want a fucking, uh, you know, a bunch of people from around the U.S. coming into Florida 
getting on airplanes. It just doesn't seem safe or smart. But I will say that regardless of what happens in the next coming weeks, if we don't have any wrestling to report, if people chill, you know, within the WWE or AEW because they have to um, with what's going on, and they decide to postpone their seasons much like the NHL, the MLB, you know, all the other major sporting organizations, college basketball, the NBA, what have you. We're going to still do shows. Um, We're just going to change it up. Maybe we'll do reviews and stuff like that, stuff that me and Chris have always wanted to incorporate. We just have so much to talk about because of all the wrestling that we do. If me and him get a chance to do a show, you know, which most likely we will, because right now we have to isolate ourselves anyways, uh, if that happens, I think that it might be a good idea, Chris, to kind of do some of that fun stuff that we talked about in the past, maybe even watch-alongs. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's obviously a great time for that, and and uh, I, I agree with you. I think you have to look at Mania just like any other sporting event, and uh, maybe take a little bit of a step back and postpone it, and, and just reschedule it. It sucks that for Tampa, so hopefully, if they postpone and reschedule, they're able to still do it in that area. Um, yeah, man, but like uh, the ideas that we have for upcoming shows, if if let's say there's not a lot of wrestling to talk back. I think uh, talk about, I think everyone's going to like, especially if you've liked our uh, year end reviews and uh, some of the things we've done in the past, maybe we'll introduce a hall of fame, you know, we'll do some cool stuff. So uh, thank you guys for listening, obviously. And uh, yeah, just looking forward to not looking forward to the coming weeks, but looking forward to uh, maybe getting some new ideas out there. And if you guys like them, let us know. And if you hate them, obviously let us know. Exactly. Be honest uh, with us uh, about it. But, um, you know, we're here to provide entertainment, and I kind of want to do that for people. Uh, You know, I don't even know our listening audience as a whole. I know that we have a pretty decent fan base, and I'm happy for all of you guys uh, out there. But we will continue to do stuff, and uh, honestly, I I can't speak on behalf of Chris, but I'm pretty sure this is a release for me. So it's also kind of beneficial both ways. For me and Chris, the kind of we'd normally be talking about wrestling anyway, so we might as well record it. And that was our that was our thing, you know, a couple of years ago uh, when I got back into wrestling and started messaging Chris about, you know, asking him questions and stuff like that. And I was like, well, why don't we just do a show? And Wrestling Geeks Alliance has been around for about what sixty years, Chris? Are we going on our sixtieth anniversary? We're on uh we we've, we've been on three years, so we had our three year anniversary kind of. Uh, right around, oh, I guess, January is when we, we set it up. But, yeah, I mean, this is a release for us. It's good times. We love talking about wrestling. Obviously, we love wrestling because we spend so much time watching it and talking about it. But uh, it will be a little fun, like not taking away any of the, the scary, like not trying to put focus on us versus the, the scary world that's on the outside. But if you're looking for entertainment, I think we can provide you guys with some good content regardless. And uh, yeah, man, this show is definitely for me, at least I'm a wrestling fan. I love talking about wrestling and it's uh, as, as stone cold would say, it's a way to spew the bullshit off my brain. Uh, so yeah, I what? look forward to this every week. <laughs> way to spew the bullshit off my, no, okay. Anyways. Uh, but yeah, I completely agree with you, man. And uh, let's uh, let's have some fun. We're gonna get through. We don't have a lot to talk about, so I mean, we can either you know end it early, or maybe we'll we'll apply some stuff uh, like that. Just make conversation, but obviously keep it about wrestling. That is the most important thing. 
there isn't a lot of news that wasn't covered, obviously, uh, that we didn't say Wednesday. And uh, let's just get into it. Uh, I, I want to go over uh, – I kind of want to go over SmackDown first. Um, given the circumstances and how unique it was, you know, there – I will say this. I think it's awesome of the WWE, uh, given Triple H's speech at the beginning – to try to provide entertainment during this time period. They are a company, whatever, you know, you want to say about them, Saudi Arabia, many other reasons. They're a company still that goes to their motto. And that's, I mean, that's part of the reason why WrestleMania is still in, in the, in the, in talks, if you will, that they don't back down under any type of given circumstance. And I know a lot of people are sharing the the Rob Ross speech that Vince did on SmackDown the day, I believe, after 9-11. You know, that's kind of their thing. And even if if a portion of that is a bit, I don't know, um, kayfabe, I guess, if you will, and, and it still comes down to business, I mean, there is that element that I appreciate WWE providing a product um, and giving us some type of entertainment to take our minds off things. I mean, I will be honest with you, it was still extremely weird, uh, just because the wrestlers, as performers, the performance you know, aspect of it, if you will, they're talking as if the audience is there. And, I mean, it's kind of weird to say I think all of them did, did a good job, but I'll say, because, I mean, they didn't have the audience, and that's, that's something they feed off of. But at, in, a, in a lot of ways, the audience can distract, I would say. Um, you know, in a live setting. So given both those elements and combining them, I think everyone did a damn good job as far as, you know, making it as normal as possible. I thought that Triple H was great on commentary. I love his back and forth with Michael Cole. He even drew on uh, Michael Cole's old, um, whatchamacallit, uh, chin stash. What the hell those things are called? Soul patch uh, with a marker. That was pretty funny. And, uh, between them, uh, some good wrestling, especially Cesaro and Daniel Bryan match, uh, you know, they did what they, they, they could do. Uh, Chris, what did you think when you first, you know, watched SmackDown, the overall feel of last night, given the circumstance? Given, I mean, they've. I don't think WWE's ever hit anything like this before, and it's going to be very, very hard for any wrestling show to do all empty arena matches. Uh <laughs> especially with not building it into a storyline or whatever. I think they did a good job. I I really liked the Roman spot, which I guess we'll talk about a little later. And um, Triple H on commentary talking about Asuka was pretty funny. Just kind of the slight acknowledgement of the situation that they're in and and being, um, I guess, self-aware is is a better term. But um, it it was just weird, and it was very weird to watch, and and mostly because they haven't done a show like this, so they had to rely on the audience. Like, even the performers are so used to relying on the audience for different uh, interactions, especially when they're doing promos in the ring and stuff. You could definitely see that some of the performers were a little uncomfortable. Um, You also noticed a lot, like, these are small things, but you notice a lot how much they talk in the ring. Um... And uh, and by talk, I mean, like, literally are calling out each other, you know, saying different things or whatever, insulting each other or during the fight, talking shit, basically. And to to some extent, it was very impressive to see all of these people, and I'm assuming that they worked their asses off on getting all of the spots beforehand, but you have to remember, they can't 
they got to be very, very quiet when calling a spot, especially if there's no crowd. Uh, so I don't know how much work went into these matches, et cetera, but it, it was, to me, it's such a weird environment. It was very impressive that we got the quality of matches we got. And also I'm not going to, you know, I sent you a message last night. I was like, oh, so they're just going to show the tag team match from Elimination Chamber. That makes sense because it was like 30 minutes. But at the same time, I mean, it's very hard to go into a completely silent place with a mic'd up ring and, and have like a 30-minute match, which is what I kind of was hoping for. Is like, okay, well, you just have yeah. Nakamura versus Daniel Bryan or whatever for 30 minutes. Uh, but not thinking about those little aspects of how WWE produces their show. And it's obviously a weird situation. It's going to get weirder. Like I said, uh, when we were talking last night, it was like NASCAR is going to run an entire race, like 200 and something laps with zero crowd. <laughs> like, um, so it's not just WWE. It's it's a lot of different things, obviously. But um, if, overall, I mean, it was it, – the show itself was not that great, but SmackDown hasn't been that great in a while. It was cool seeing Jeff Hardy back. It's just really weird seeing these appearances have to happen without a crowd in front of them that kind of make them big moments. Like, yeah, I probably would have saved Jeff Hardy coming back. They, like, those kind of things I would have saved until this was over. Um, obviously, there's contract problems with Jeff Hardy because he's going to be out very soon. So, yeah, I guess they're trying to get whatever they can get out of him. But, um, you know, shout out to all the performers. I, it takes a lot of courage to walk out in front of no one and have a WWE-style wrestling match, which is going to be filmed perfectly for TV, et cetera. But, man, uh, very uncomfortable. And at some points, especially during the opening promo, as my wife would say, it felt like a school play. Uh, at some parts, which, like I said, I mean, yeah. it's it's very different for all of them. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. School play, but you know, yeah, it's it's just it's it's hard to like try to comprehend it. I wish that, and I think that Daniel Bryan and Cesaro were the best example of it. You know, I understand. I, I know that they had a snowstorm not too long ago where they had to air part of the Royal Rumble or something like that. To, to save, you know, a chunk of that. Um, I heard, at least they were talking about it on the Wrestling Inc. Uh, podcast going over SmackDown from last night that I was listening to this morning. Because um, I'm that big of a wrestling mark. <laughs> no, I, I love Matt Morgan and Raj Geary, and the third guy, Glunt's uh, fine. Um, whatever, he's annoying as shit. Anyways, but uh, they did a good show, and they, they talked about uh, some of the different things. It just That's why I found out the information about basically the standoff between Vince and, and Tampa is that – that's that's what's going on right now, and just uh, all things aside, uh, I wish that they kind of allowed them to stretch out the wrestling aspects. But then again, this is SmackDown; they're still going by normal format. I will say that a lot of people didn't know, and I only I'm just used to going to the network because I usually doze off or like you know, uh, we'll, we'll end up chilling and kind of putting on 205 Live sometimes in the background. Um, and they still had it. I was very surprised. And it was just a 25-minute match of, you know, a, a team they've been building up, the, the the original 205 Live team, which happens to all be heels between um, – who was it? It was it was Brian Kendrick. I mean, it was a clusterfuck. It was five-on-five five Survivor Series-style match, but it was uh, Brian Kendrick, um, Mike Kanellis, Tony Nese, and um, Jack Gallagher, 
the Singh brothers were there randomly. They have this new thing with Jack Gallagher where they, like, you know, hold the ropes for him and shit. It's very strange. And I forgot who the fifth person was. Um, but they went against NXT, which was Kushida, uh, uh, Danny, Danny Birch, and Oni Lorcan, Shane Strickland. And once again, I forgot who the fifth person was on their team. Oh, I know Davari was the one over on the heel team for 205 Live. But given it, it was an awesome cruiserweight style tag match. Uh, it's 25 minutes. If you guys want to watch them wrestling, it's still very strange in the empty arena, but uh, some of the best cruiserweights today just beating the living shit out of each other, you know, just for our entertainment. So I thought that was pretty cool. But, yeah, just fucking strange, man. Just a, a very, very strange show. Triple H opens up the show, uh, introducing the Performance Center, then join Michael Cole on commentary. Uh, yeah, it just... Um, it was like NXT, except for there was no fans at it, uh, just empty chairs uh, lit in blue. And then we had, you know, them kind of intro the show and get interrupted by Sasha Banks and Bailey, who were, of course, talking shit um, and going against Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. For the match, Bailey and Sasha had microphones and cut a promo talking to no one. Uh, Paige was supposed to be there, but couldn't make it, and that was actually real uh, due to travel stuff. So they laughed at her and talked shit about her. Bliss and Cross interrupted, saying they want a shot at the Kabuki Warriors on Raw. Banks uh, tapped out Cross to the bank statement within this match after interference from Asuka. Uh, that was took out on Alexa Bliss. So, I mean, I can't even remember. The only the, I, I'm going to be honest with you. The, I know the Baron Corbin match was short. Wrestling-wise, the only stuff I really remember is uh, a bit of the Cesaro-Daniel Bryan match. I apologize. It was a very standard, uh, you know, wrestling, a tag wrestling match. You know, WWE kind of like what we were talking about. But uh, still fine, and they're setting up stuff going forward. And like I said, as awkward as it is, you know, maybe Bailey <laughs> had a little more confidence without the audience completely blasting her, whether she's a babyface or heel. I don't know if that's something to do with it, but both ladies did good with that promo at the beginning. Still awkward. Um, what did you think about this match, the opening? I thought it was a pretty good match, especially given the uh, the weirdness of the entire show. Um, the promos going into it, like, it, it's so hard to judge this entire, like, as far as breaking down of things I liked and hated, it's going to be a very rough one just because, at some point, it's not the performer's fault when you're used to just being in a certain environment and you're, it's kind of flipped on its head. But uh, I, I liked the commentary a lot, and I thought the match itself was, was pretty good. Um, just, man, overall weird. Uh, instead of doing the empty seats, I wish they would have, like, covered them or something. Or, like I said to you last night, maybe put a bunch of wrestling buddies out there from the 80s, like – Macho Mans and <laughs> Ultimate Warriors or something like just something because the fact WWE's camera work is so good you see kind of everything so when they go Doesn't hard cam directly money? yeah where, where's our holographic Tupac in the audience um I, I still wish they would have went with uh, the wrestlers watch the matches and then they just do the promos in the crowd or something. Like there's some things they could have changed. I think would have made it better in my opinion. Um, but uh, just a, just a weird scenario altogether. The match and like the quality of in ring work and stuff, it's, it's even hard to judge, but given what they were, <laughs> what they had to work with, I thought they did pretty good. 
Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like it's going to be hard to be down on any wrestling going forward, given the circumstances. Like if we watch AEW, there's a possibility we're going to be watching uh, blood and guts in an empty place, you know. And the wrestlers themselves, they're gonna they're gonna put on the same performance, WWE as well. Uh, but what I'm trying to say is that it's kind of hard to be down on them, given the fact that they're fucking no one in the crowd. So I mean, that's going to be a a continuous thing throughout the night. I will notice, I don't know, I'm assuming Vince was producing, Chris, but I liked some of the, not not really, like, breaking kayfabe, sort of, but, like, sh- sh- it, it, people were, I'm trying to think, certain performers cared a little bit less to kind of go over that line. We have Triple H making comments about his promotion to motion, basically making jokes and references to that. Uh, we had a part where basically Sami Zayn was asking why Triple H was there and that he didn't see it in his notes. And Triple H made a comment saying that they just rewrote it, so here's a new script and threw it at him. You know, kind of reference to Vince as of lately. I thought that type of shit was funny. <laughs> and I don't know if Hunter just, just didn't give a fuck and just decided to do that. that I thought that that was kind of fun. Roman Reigns, and we're about to go over his interview, but commenting about how <laughs> it always kind of happens to him. With Brock Lesnar in the past and now Goldberg, he has to prove against a fucking part-timer why he should have the title instead of them. And then John Cena at the end, you know, kind of putting over uh, the Velveteen Dream, Tommaso Ciampa, putting over, um, you know, Rhea Ripley and and, um, some of the other workers um, and saying basically, why don't they get a shot? And throwing that in the feud with with Bray Wyatt, Chris, and saying basically, like, you've given this guy five fucking shots. It's not always my fault from the past. You know, the wrestlers can't just keep on saying that. Sometimes you don't fucking do what you have to do with your what you got, basically. And I thought stuff like that was actually kind of cool. You know, obviously they worked it in. This is still a scripted-style concept. But those three sets of statements by themselves, I thought, added a, a, a different element in a very positive way, I would say. Do you agree with me? I, I do. And... um I'm also the guy that doesn't want to look behind the dark curtain all the time, but uh, it it was already such a weird scenario and weird show. And um, they have set themselves up for these kind of matches that are like, Oh, well totally they will do that. Um, I loved Roman Reigns' little sit down interview. And even the way he walked to the ring, because without the crowd there and having to be this, the big dog, uh, he came off more personable to me in a lot of ways, which was kind of funny. And um, I, I liked the, the the lines itself was him specifically saying like, oh, so it's okay for me to main event every little town everywhere in every other show, but as soon as it's mania, you guys freak out, <laughs> which I thought was pretty good. Um, it, yeah, and, and Cena's promo was great, and it's – it's just such a weird show to even talk about, man. Like I, I, I watched half of it and then I heard they were doing that, uh, elimination chamber. So I watched the rest of it this morning and, um, it, it's, it's still, even after letting it sit in last night when I watched the first hour or whatever, coming back and watching the second hour, it was just insane. I mean, and like you said, with triple H, he, he poked fun at the entire thing and, and maybe we can get into this a little bit. he, kind of got a demotion this week. So <laughs> I don't know yep. why they thought putting him on commentary was a great idea, but he was definitely, definitely over the top with uh like even as he left commentary, he's like, 
I'm going to leave commentary right now because I'm not very good at this. And then he looked at Michael Cole and he was like, a lot of people also think you're not very good at this and just left. <laughs> Oh, I, I thought I thought Hunter was great, man. I thought the soul patch thing was hilarious that Michael Cole did. I thought that he was just he didn't. He, I I kind of feel like this is because of it, and like you're alluding to is I don't think he gave a fuck given the circumstance. He kind of just said it when he threw the script at Sammy and said, "Oh, you didn't get the new uh, copy? Don't worry, it was just done." And then threw the fucking script at him. I thought that was hilarious. I'm sure Vince was not happy about it, but you know what the fuck's he gonna do? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it was. I, I loved him on commentary, even the dumb things that he was doing with just like um, holding, what was it? Hold like just holding the camera and just kind of the goofiness of Hunter and um, just the the whole aspect of the show. They did make they they weren't making light of the virus and everything that was going on. They were making light of like, isn't this really weird that we're doing an entire wrestling show in an empty arena? Uh, so I, I appreciated it, man. Like I, I, in fact, I just want to give a shout out to all those performers. Cause that's gotta be insanely hard. This isn't a one-off match like rock versus mankind or, um, you know, like we've talked about in the past, Terry versus, um, you know, Rick or Terry versus, um, Jerry the King Lawler, but where you can build to it, and then it's like the, the arena is cleared out specifically for this match. This is literally like, hey, we're going to do our normal TV shit, but with no one here. Yep. Ugh. All right, so let's talk about the Roman Reigns interview. I thought that, you know, we kind of we kind of talked about it, but I thought Roman was um, kind of uncut. You know, he didn't really care. I'm glad he made that mention about the fact that he does main event. And then WrestleMania is like the, whoa. Uh, I like that he called Goldberg out. And kind of, I don't know if this is actual frustration or what they're they're putting, you know, into the storyline or a mixture of both. You know, that's, that's the whole thing about wrestling. Sometimes it mirrors reality. But I'm sure, to an extent, Roman is sick of fucking being paired with Brock Lesnar in the past, part-time, you know, legend, and now Goldberg from an era beforehand, you know, extremely part-time, if you will. And I love how he just, like, took it right from the beginning, like Michael Cole and their their branding at Spear versus Spear. And Roman's like, I have way more moves than just a Spear to talk about. Now, we all know that that's, you know, but that's that's pretty much everyone that's usually a main guy. John Cena, Austin, you know, the five moves of doom, if you will. I think I think Hogan had three you know, body slam, leg drop, big boot brother. So, but in all in all actuality, I'm glad that he kind of was like, fuck the spear versus spear. That's how they're going to do it. But this is more than that. This is about me, you know, getting past the big dog, whatever. It's actually still being on top and being able to take this away from another legend that needs to go basically, you know, in the background. And I thought it was an awesome interview. He did come off cocky. He probably, if he was doing this in a live audience, would have probably gotten some booze. But I don't think he gives a shit at this point. Roman, Roman's so over. He's still the number one merch seller. Kids love him. He is one of the biggest names they have in the company for a time period, very similar, I've always said, to like the early 90s. And I, don't get me wrong. That was my era. I loved WCW and also WWF. But during that time period, the, the new generation era, there weren't as big of stars you know, as there was previous with the 80s 
and then obviously with the Attitude Era after that. And as much as I love Shawn Michaels and 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 Bret Hart and Kevin Nash and 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 uh, what you call Scott Hall and a lot of the other guys from that era, British Bulldog. Which congratulations, David Boy Smith, officially announced he's going to Hall of Fame. Kind of knew about that. Already talked about it, but just wanted to say that. You know, Bret was pretty big. Shawn was pretty big, but going to this time period, it's kind of like they've they've neutralized to make everyone not as big as a Cena. Like at least they've done that as a miscalculation, but, or they're trying to keep everyone simmered so they don't have that concept. I don't know why the fuck they wouldn't given to what I'm saying. Since I'm rambling. Apologize about that. Roman's in that category nowadays in WWE, where even if you don't like him and you want to boo him, um, your kid's cheering for him and he's still showing why. And I think that this was him to get shit off his chest a bit. Do you agree with that? Yeah, that harkens back to kind of what I was talking about earlier where, you know, he's not wrong by saying these things. Um, And, you know, you can obviously look at this and say, well, John Cena did this with The Rock. He's like, you're a part-timer. You're not here half the time. Like, if you go back and watch Rock's, uh, John Cena's promos against The Rock, John Cena's promos were actually better. I mean, he's not as charismatic as The Rock, obviously, and not The Rock, as far as cutting a promo, but the content inside of that promo and what he was actually talking about made a hell of a lot of sense. And they're basically doing the same thing with Roman Reigns, um, which I'm fine with. And also, I'm not a huge Goldberg fan. So if if Roman gets some chances to bury him, he should go talk to his boy, Matt Matt Riddle, who's obviously (laughs) really capable of getting in these guys' heads. Um, all, All joking aside, I mean... I've always kind of felt bad for Roman and uh, the John Cena's of the world because, you know, Vince, he's a guy, he sees that their merch is selling well, he's going to push them hard. It, it's that you have, sometimes you have to disconnect your wrestling fandom mind or your like, this guy is the most incredible worker mindset because WWE is this different machine. That's about pulling these ratings and making uh, this TV money and, it's, it is really, really weird. And I will say this. I mean, I think Vince is able to look at someone and know, and I know people are going to probably shit on me for this, but know if they're going to be the star, not only to the current audience, but the future kid audience, because I think that's kind of where his, his brain is with this. Like we have to build a future audience, especially if you look at their ratings. Um, so having those very kid friendly, big, athletic, uh, almost superhero type people like Roman Reigns is very important because those are the people that's like going to be what we are when we talk about Hogan or Sting. You know, it's like we grew up watching Hogan and Sting. They're awesome. But there were still people back then that were like, they suck in the ring. What are you guys talking about? So I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. You're entitled to like what you like or whatever. But, uh, you know, Roman's not terrible in the ring. He's actually a very athletic guy. And he's been he's had good matches with people like Baron Corbin and stuff that probably shouldn't have been that good. And I'm sure this match with Goldberg is going to be good. I don't think it's going to be very long. I would parken it more towards the, uh, the like what they did with uh, Goldberg and Lesnar. If, if they're going to do something, it'll be very brawly and then probably a quick finish. But that Lesnar Goldberg match was very good. So I don't know. I, I liked the promo. I liked uh, him and Michael Cole just kind of sitting in the ring. I liked. You could obviously tell Roman is uh, is known for walking out to a, a reaction from the crowd. 
because he walked out and it's just complete silence with the dirt dirt and he's like covering his face trying not to laugh and smiling way more than normal it's just <laughs> it was hilarious to me like what is he supposed to do <laughs> like you're used to like that's one thing is roman is always going to get a reaction regardless if you hate him or like him he always gets one of the biggest reactions and he just walks out to complete silence and his uh his theme music it was very very odd yeah, it was. Um, but, yeah, I think he did a good job with it, you know. And whenever it happens, I'm looking forward to – I kind of – I'm with you, like a shorter match. But if he can get something out of him, like Brock got out of Goldberg a couple of years ago, they can have a short match and still have a fun match. So that's what I'm looking at. There's no – you know, obviously given we, – we have to keep on saying this, but whenever they have WrestleMania, Chris, wherever they have it, there's no way in hell Goldberg's going to beat Roman Reigns, right? Because we have this situation, and I know it's different between Brock and Goldberg, where we said the same thing, and Brock ended up beating him. You don't think there's any possibility? I mean, not at Mania. You have to put Roman over in this match. And, you know, Goldberg beating The Fiend, if you listen to the reaction they had on SmackDown, the crowd wasn't fully behind him anymore. There's that turn of like, oh, but we no. love Bray. And I think that was part of the – and we even talked about that in, in our recap because we weren't like super hyped on the results of the Saudi show. But at the same time, we're like, well, the booking itself kind of makes sense because there's a lot of things that you could do out of it. And if the idea is to make people want to see Goldberg get his ass kicked and kind of hate Goldberg for beating The Fiend, who is kind of the fan-lifted favorite, let's say um, – I think they did a pretty decent job with that. And uh, with Reigns, it's such a weird thing because depending on if you put him against certain people, he's just going to get immediately slammed on the internet. Um, So putting him against Goldberg, who's still someone that people tune in to watch or whatever, and having him win at Mania, to me, is not a big deal. And I, I don't see any world where you think it's a good idea to have Goldberg retain the title. It's, it, it, yeah, but it's also Drew and Roman going over against two of WWE's biggest stars. I could see anything happening, but honestly, it, it, smart money is like Drew wins and um, Roman wins would would be what you do, and then you got to try to build some someone else. Yep, I completely agree. All right, we had some backstage segments. Uh, first was basically, I thought this was pretty funny. So Kayla's in the back, and she's about to interview someone, and then Sami Zayn, um, Cesaro, Nakamura all walk on the camera. Sami, like, you know, acting as if he was supposed to have the interview, going over winning the IC championship. Um, he'll do it in his commentary as well, talking about how he beat uh, Braun single-handedly, even though obviously he had the two other guys. It's it's going in a very, very inter- uh, interesting um, direction. But Kayla was like, Sammy, I don't have a scheduled interview with you. Like, this wasn't for you. And he's like, what? What are you talking about? Come into frame, Jeff Hardy returning. Uh, almost gets in a little confrontation with Sammy, but Cesaro gets between them. And then Jeff Hardy was interviewed. Um, but while he was saying some stuff, friggin' Baron Corbin had to walk up. And, you know, put his two cents and made even DUI jokes uh, towards him. And basically, Jeff was like, oh, well, you know, I have a match. I don't have time for this. But um, did you not know? And he's like, what are you talking about? Oh, you're in the match with me. So they set up that for later. 
and Elias showed up to sing a song about Baron Corbin afterwards. So I guess they're going to be doing uh, Corbin and Elias in something. I don't know if it's going to make mania, but you know what I'm saying. Um, Afterwards, uh, after the commercial break, we came back, and there was another backstage segment, and Daniel Bryan went over to Drew Gulak um, and asked him to teach him. He was like, I think that you did see some flaws in my game. I'd like to work with you. And it's funny, Chris, two days ago you were kind of hoping, or not, I don't know, hoping, but you were saying it would be awesome if the two of them worked together. And I don't know if this ended up where Drew Gulak screws over Daniel Bryan in the future or whatever, but the two of them as a tag team is extremely intriguing, and the two of them working together, uh, opposed to Zayn, Cesaro, Nakamura, that's, uh, that's interesting. To set up Bryan going against Cesaro, like I've talked about. And I kind of, I messaged you, I'm wondering if the concept is going to be a three-on-three, who cares the IC title, I guess they're not going to, you know, put it on on the line. They've done that in the past. And put it, those three guys against Daniel Bryan, Drew Gulak, and Braun Strowman. Um, I don't know. Uh, It's, 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 uh, it's, it's interesting. But what did you like, what did you like about these segments? And is Sami Zayn one of the most annoying people in the world, or, or, or really good at it, like Triple H is trying to put over. I love Sammy, but he is so good at being irritating. I think he's so good at being irritating because we don't get to see Sammy's good matches. He's also like one of the best baby faces they have in that company. <laughs> he's kind of easy to hate because it reminds you of the frustration you have with the product to some extent. Um, I will say when like this is the first show I've watched with my wife in a while because. Uh, I watch a lot of wrestling, and she's like, that's a lot of wrestling. Um, but obviously, she wanted to t- tune in and see how w- weird this was. And when Baron Corbin showed up with the crown and the <laughs> interrupted Jeff Hardy, she's a huge Jeff Hardy mark. She just had this audible groan, like, ugh. <laughs> and I was like, you're not wrong. <laughs> I was like, you're not wrong. <laughs> I know you haven't been watching for a while, but you're completely not wrong. <laughs> Um, so that was kind of like not a great moment in this show or anything, but for, for me personally, one of my favorite moments out of watching the show is just this audible groan of like, Ugh. and then Elias showed up and she was like, ah, <laughs> it's like, why do you watch this? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I like, I, I like when they, I like when they get in the ring and do cool things. <laughs> and she's like. Sometimes it's not worth it. <laughs> God. I mean, Karen's right on that aspect. Ugh. It's like we're forcing ourselves, Chris. Yeah, but, uh, you know, for for the – I like the, you know, they played out the Sammy not knowing that the show had changed pretty much throughout the beginning to the end of the – or the middle of the show, which was great. And I also like that he gave zero fucks at all. So Sammy and even Cesaro, because he had a little bit of mic time too, I thought they were pretty good in this segment. And uh, there's – I think that this is – it's just such a weird show because no one's ever had to do this. I think, you know, on Monday we're going to see some changes. I think they may film a lot of stuff off – let's say off campus or – um, more of those sit-down JR-style interviews in a back room, trying to take the focus away from the empty arena, and that'll go a long way. That's one thing I'll say about this interview is them doing it backstage in this weird, like, warehouse um, did take you out of the mindset of, oh, okay, now we're just back to it's, – it's just a normal show now versus, like, <laughs> when they're just out there and there's no one there cutting promos on each other. Uh, they should probably try to steer clear of that as much as possible. And I know they love their 10, 15-minute 
uh, promo intros to the show, but uh, I, I don't think it's going to work in, in the current context of what the world is. Yeah, yep, for sure. After this, they showed that SmackDown Tag Team Championship Elimination Chamber match uh, from the pay-per-view uh, the week previous. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, they showed it in full. And then afterwards, we had a pretty awkward moment, I would say, with Miz and John Morrison gloating about their Elimination uh, Chamber win. Uh, and, you know, uh, basically at the end of it, they were putting over their movies. Um, apparently, there's Oscar bait. Uh, whatchamacallit? Um, there is uh, Oscar discussion for the new animated movie that The Miz is doing. That was kind of like a run-on joke and how critically acclaimed his last several movies with the Marine 2, 3, 4, whatever the fuck. So, you know, he had that whole camaraderie. I like them together. It was just weird. I mean, that, that, that's going to be the, the thing we keep on going back to. And uh, Miz made a statement that I think that he only does just to piss off people. And that's if anyone doesn't think that I'm the greatest wrestling technician – that is in the business, uh, has ever seen speak now. And, of course, no one was there to speak. So that was pretty <laughs> funny. Chris, what did you think about them? You know, we talked about it, but them airing the Elimination Chamber for free to kind of save time, and then this kind of strange interview back and forth with Morrison and Miz putting each other over after. So so I actually like the Miz a lot here. When my hand goes up, your mouth goes shut. Uh, more of this shitty, like a shittier version of the Miz. He doesn't actually believe that he's the greatest technician of all time. I can can, can assure you guys that, but it is great Miz. Um, I like that they showed, they they at least built into the match that they were going to show. And that was one of the best matches off Elimination Chamber. And, uh, you know, giving it to people who may just be tuning into the show as random viewers on Friday because there's nothing else to watch right now, especially if you're, like, just a sports fan. Um, Probably a smart idea. Not necessarily the match I would have went with. I may have shown something on TakeOver and tried to put over, you know, my Wednesday show if I was WWE. But, um, it once again, it's just such a weird formatting thing. I I don't know... Like it's never been done before, and and they tried to handle it the best they could. And uh, I do love like like you know I had put this over earlier in the week, like you said, with on our Thursday show, uh, the idea of Drew Gulak and um, Daniel Bryan having to be this team to step up to beat Miz and Morrison, almost. Especially now that he's making the technician jokes, it seems like they're going to be like, "Hey, fuck this guy," <laughs> which would make a lot of sense. Um, so to that extent, I think it's pretty smart booking, and I have absolutely no problem with them showing a pay-per-view match for free. I mean, I think more of the problem is they think their audience is broader than it is, and I would say probably the majority of people had already watched that match, and you're putting it on TV again. Um, if they have to go the route where they're going to just show other matches, I would try to get the either the people that were almost like a director's commentary the either the people that were in the match or some people that are really fun to listen to on commentary do their own commentary over top of the match or something just try to do something a little different because you know you, your diehard fans have already seen that match and uh wwe doesn't have a lot of fans outside of their diehard fans at this point yeah definitely um 
especially if we in that scenario, like you were saying, we can get John Morrison and Daniel Bryan in the ring together. That would be pretty cool. Um, but all right, so let's keep on going. Um, where were we at? Oh, yeah, this is pretty distracting. Mojo Rally in a pink Zubaz suit came out and was happier about Rob Gronkowski coming to WWE than I think Rob Gronkowski is is uh, excited. But, um, you know, given everything, <laughs> for what he had and being over the top, having a lot of energy, I think that Mojo did a good job in this scenario. I don't know if he's even going to have any involvement with Rob since he's not even on SmackDown, I don't believe. But he did say Rob Gronkowski is interested in becoming a WWE superstar and will be on SmackDown next week. Chris, do you think that's going to happen? Uh, do you think that maybe Mojo drinks, I don't know, Red Bull right before he goes on? Uh, how'd you like this interview? Uh, I mean, it was just there to put over Rob Kronkowski. And uh, if you've looked at Mojo Rawley's uh, career thus far, him just cutting a promo all excited is par for the course of what Mojo is. Um, isn't he supposed to be broken? Wasn't the whole thing with the glass face paint and all that stuff, or did they just give up on that and maybe it happened well, on Remember uh, when there was a uh, remember when there was an animatronic spider in a cage? You know? <laughs> yeah, but like I said on the Thursday show, I, I feel like Vince was like, This sucks and then just had Drew McIntyre murder it. <laughs> like out of all the gimmicks he killed off, that's the one I think we'll look back on fondly. It's like good job, Vince. <laughs> Way to just we could just shut that shit down. Um, <laughs> this is crap. <laughs> but but generally, when it's like a whole personality wearing face paint change, there's a match or something that kind of sends off that character. Uh, but now he's just back to being Rob's friend or whatever, which it, to in itself doesn't make sense because Mojo Raleigh, isn't he drafted for law? Yeah, that's, I have no idea how they're going to work that out. <laughs> Um, well, we know how they're going to work it out. They're just never going to fucking explain it. <laughs> Are they even going to put uh, them together, or is Mojo getting excited for no reason? <laughs> you know, <laughs> wouldn't it be funny if that's the whole gimmick? Is Mojo's just super excited for his in quotations friend to show up, and then Rob's like, "This guy's really fucking weird, man." <laughs> They just they just do the they do the Trish Stratus Mickey James angle, but with Rob Gronkowski and, and Mojo Raleigh, he's like this guy's stalking me. I think he loves me. Yeah, we kind of like knew each other, but we weren't that that close, man. Um. <laughs> all right, so we had the two matches um, that were lined up, like I was talking about. I thought that Daniel Bryan had a pretty good match with Cesaro. I mean, these guys could have given us probably a lot more, but, you know, that's that's the WWE model of wrestling. Like I said, though, you would think, I mean, even if they want to give us the free fucking uh, free match or something, they could have given them more time, especially the next one with Jeff Hardy and, and Corbin. Corbin's not that bad. Like, Jeff basically kind of, like, almost squashed him. Like, it was, it was very wrapped up quickly, but Cesaro and Daniel Bryan did get a little bit of time. Obviously, Sami Zayn was there with Shinsuke Nakamura. Um, Sami was on commentary, like we've alluded to, like, you know, just going back and forth with Triple H. Triple H just putting him over about how incredibly annoying he is and how 
proud that he figured himself out, you know, and that he's been in the ring with Cesaro and Shinsuke and gotten his ass kicked, but also has still proven uh, that he can, you know, get in the ring with, with people and just do it and basically put it off instead of to his technical skills by, by being so fucking annoying and irritating. And it was just good banter back and forth. It was funny. Uh, Brian pins Cesaro with a roll-up. Uh, and then basically it was all mayhem from there. I know that, uh, you know, uh, Shinsuke jumped in. They started double-teaming him. Drew Gulak got involved. Then they took Drew Gulak out uh, on the outside, you know, once Sammy got involved, threw him against the stairs, and then Daniel Bryan speared the shit out of all of them. And the two sides brawled, and then uh, basically sent, the heel sent um, Gulak into the steps. Yeah, it was... I don't remember the exact ending, but they were just fighting a lot. So I'm sure there's going to be some type of stuff going on. I mean, given these are some of my favorite, like, actual wrestlers. So if I get a chance to see Sami Zayn and Cesaro tag team, you know, maybe in the future against Daniel Bryan um, and Drew Gulak, that will be fucking awesome. Not taking anything away from Shinsuke. You can kind of alternate them. But as as far as the technical sense between these wrestlers, you know, certain ones stand out over others. Um, how'd you like this match, Chris? I thought it was pretty entertaining. Um, great for what it was. I think it sets up angles in the future. There's not a, a whole lot of negative that I can can throw at it considering their circumstances and uh, the idea of Drew Gulak and Daniel Bryan tagging against Sami Zayn and, and Cesaro is like, well, I hope you guys didn't play any other matches tonight because <laughs> that, should, that should be the best match on the card. <laughs> if they give them like 10 minutes, that shit would be incredible. Um, so, and then, you know, the show in the show in general itself, um, I, I like kind of what they did with Jeff Hardy, just having a straight squash. And I think a little bit of that is to try to build confidence to get him to maybe resign. Because as we've talked about with Jeff Hardy in the past, being as big of a WWE star as he was, and he has this natural charisma that you just, there's not, it doesn't matter how you push him. He's just always going to be kind of over. You definitely don't want to see that go to AEW and be there with Matt Hardy, and then you have that like you go back and listen to the WrestleMania pop. That's what they're capable of. Now, just because you didn't know how to book them doesn't mean that other companies won't figure out how to book the fucking Hardy Boys. Um, so, to some extent, I feel like they gave them a strong win here, and they're like, and then we're going to give you a mania moment, and uh, maybe you'll resign. Hopefully, uh, Jeff is smart enough not to follow that train but he also should have a lot of loyalty for wwe just because of uh all the substance abuse and and the programs they've been able to pay for and put him through over the years and uh jeff's just such a weird case where there's got to be a little bit of loyalty to that company for putting the title on him and doing all this stuff even around all of the extra let's say extracurricular activities of jeff hardy at times um but, I mean, he's always went wherever Matt went, so I would just assume he's still going to go to AEW regardless. But it did kind of feel like – it's like that felt like a squash match, and it also didn't feel that important that Jeff Hardy was even there because it seems like they're setting up Elias versus Baron Corbin mm-hmm. based on that promo earlier. So, so to me, it's, it's, still, it's hard to say it's a waste of Jeff Hardy because – they only have so much time left on this contract. They're going to, you know, they're going to tag on the injury to that. So probably an additional three months or whatever before he gets out. So we're looking at like June or, or July more than likely. 
maybe even later, depending on how much of an asshole they want to be. But it, it's it's weird that he just randomly got thrown into a storyline that wasn't about him on a show that had no people in the arena, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, Jeff, don't don't give in to the dark side. Luke Skywalker, don't give in to the Emperor. Christ sakes. Go the other route. I think AEW will be a hell of a lot better for him. There's a lot of situations over here or over there. For for one thing, yeah, Jeff could get a heavyweight title, but I think he has a hell of a lot better of a chance over there. They'll utilize him and Matt together, not just put them as a tag team, but as a unit. They can do all their stuff there. And then we get our dream match of Darby Allen against Jeff Hardy. I mean, what the fuck is there not yeah. to, to, to win in that scenario? <laughs> I will say this about Jeff Hardy. He looked in really good shape in that match. And, um, I mean, he looked like old Jeff Hardy. But, damn, he was like Oompa Loompa Orange. <laughs> Did he, like, <laughs> last-minute spray tan or something? He had, like, the uh, the Luke Gallows thing going there in that promo earlier. Yeah, he looked pretty pretty tan, man. You know, he's been getting those tanning beds. Oh, I was trying to find the exact amount of time. So you were right. Yeah, he was supposed to be off March March 1st. I just want to know, how how long was he out with injury? Like, I can't if, – if that's like a whole year, are they going to really tack that whole entire year onto it? So – And plus the DUI actually stuff? Being, yeah, so post, like actually being injured, I think it was like a six-month return or whatever. But then he had like the, the DUI and kind of a mental breakdown – and th- this is part of the reason I kind of want him away from WWE. It's and it is an assumption. I don't know Jeff Hardy as a person or whatever, but it seems like he fares way better when he doesn't have this very, very, very heavy travel schedule um, with WWE. Yeah. So it's maybe not the best place for him. Whereas in AEW, you're just flying one place, working, and your brother's Although, right there, and make sure that things are okay, et cetera. It seems like, though, at the same time, though, that Jeff was on Quaaludes, for Christ's sakes. I don't know who the fuck he got them from, uh, but all jokes aside, in his match, you know, against Sting. So he can uh, can get crazy no matter whatever schedule, you know? Yeah, and that was also with Matt not there, though. I think the combination of Matt being there and what they did later on in Impact and, and that working schedule being a lot lighter and just being kind of recorded to me, it seems like it helped him a lot as a person. And hopefully he's just clean and going to be fine. But the WWE yeah. lifestyle in general with all the fucking travel they do, it, it does lend itself to, uh, well, this sucks. I'm in shithole Ohio. There's nothing to fucking do. I've broken my body doing this wrestling thing, and there's no one to talk to. So fuck it. You know what I mean? Like that's uh, mm-hmm. to me that's a very believable scenario. If you travel as much as he has, as someone that traveled for like two full years for work, um, a little bit to the extent of, of what WWE does, where you're just all over the country, all over the place. You're not with anyone. You're alone. You're maybe feeling a little shitty. I think it would be very. I've definitely gotten drunk uh, in some places that were dark times for me <laughs> just because of that kind of shit. And I think people take that aspect out of it. And, and you look at somewhere like AEW where it's like, it's not, it's not a hundred thousand times better or anything, but you are only traveling once a week and then traveling back as opposed to what WWE is, which is this rolling machine that's everywhere all of the time. 
Yeah, that's very true. Um, I don't know. We'll have to, you know, see how much is tacked on. I don't see him signing again, but you are right. Maybe this was to put things in perspective, get him in good graces, and also get Corbin in a lower pedestal like he's fallen and set up things for him and Elias if that's where they're trying to go. Uh, I want to talk I, about I the end of the show. I would say one thing before we move on from the Jeff Hardy uh, thing is that Paul Heyman is the booker and he's one of the ones that was very high influence on getting Jeff Hardy that title push and being a big part of the show and then dropping the title eventually to CM Punk. So I don't know so what the relationship is on, there. Would you rather but, Jeff on Raw then with Paul Heyman instead of uh, with um, Richard on SmackDown? Yes, and I think if anyone could talk him into staying, it would probably be Paul Heyman because it, you know, as cool as it would be on AEW, it would be a hell of a lot cooler to be the top title holder again on Raw. So if that's like a personal thing that he wants to accomplish again, uh, based on his fall from grace and losing the title to uh, CM Punk and basically a loser leaves town match because of some of his problems. Uh, I would say definitely put him on Raw and have uh, him be a Paul Heyman guy almost. And by Paul Heyman guy, I don't mean like Paul needs to be his manager or anything, but Paul Heyman has shown that he knows how to book this guy. And and, and yeah. this is one, this this is a star that Vince looks at and is like, I can get him over super easy because he's just natural, naturally charismatic where he doesn't look at a lot of the roster that same way. Yeah, I agree. Man, watching those Ruthless Aggression uh, docs, especially now that we're paused until friggin' um, – I think they said that they're going to come out more uh, the next fall. But just how how much the superstars put over both Paul Heyman and Brian Gwartz during that time period, even Kurt Angle talking about Brian and you know other people talking about how both those guys specifically knew how to write for specific wrestlers and knew how to book like they understood them. They never – like Kurt Angle said – that Brian would write a, a good majority of his promos. He would go back and forth with Kurt, go into detail. Kurt would give him his ideas, but he knew his character pretty much inside and out. It just sucks that now it's in WWE, it's more about the television writing staff, and uh, it's not as smaller and as compact. But, um, you know, big ups. I, I didn't know a lot about Brian Gorch uh, until that thing. I know that he's now The Rock's, um, I believe, his agent or his manager or whatever. But him and Paul... Apparently they they just they just know certain wrestlers, Chris. You know. Yeah, and here's the thing about the WWE writing staff, and and some of the promos they ask this to cut. I know that they just get a general idea of what Vince wants, and then they go and write it. But maybe two days a week they should have to sit down and watch all fucking eight hours of wrestling that comes out, or if there's a pay per view, like twelve hours of wrestling. Like work a little overtime get to know what these characters are supposed to be. And then maybe like listen to some fan podcast or something to have an idea of what the fans want that character to be. And then build around that. I think that's like one of the big differences is that Paul Heyman really does love wrestling. And he's, he like watched it and went through like to the eighties until now knowing what wrestling fans are and what they like. And it, to some extent, even Vince, but some ideas are just bad, and then writing a very scripted-ass promo that doesn't sound like anyone talking because you're used to writing on a soap opera uh, in some cases and scenarios, 
isn't the same fucking thing. Like it's, it's not the same thing. So to me, I don't know if they do this, but they should sit down and watch their week every week. The very first thing they do before they decide they're going to write any promo about anything. Like you should watch what you just put out the previous week, sit down in a room, just watch it. No one talk and then write, okay, here's our ideas for what this should be. And like I said, maybe even listen to some podcasts that are more personable or, or look at these people's Twitter. Like I, I, this doesn't seem that hard to me, but for whatever reason, making these people come off like robots a lot of times is uh, very easy for this writing staff. Yeah, I unfortunately agree with you. Uh, I think my favorite thing about last night was the final segment between John Cena and Bray Wyatt. John Cena coming up there, you know, Hulk Hogan, rah, rah, but, you know, I, I liked, it was nice saying never give up and how he was like more than ever, you know, it just, John Cena seems like a, a good dude. I, it's like he's the closest thing that we have to Captain America, if you will. Uh, they really tried to stay away from even, I don't even think they mentioned coronavirus at all on the show, but they were trying to get your mind off of that. And John Cena, like we kind of talked about earlier, he put over a lot of talent that he thinks doesn't get utilized. Uh, and I don't think he had to say some of those names. He, he personally made it a thing to say Matt Riddle, Tommaso Ciampa, uh, Velveteen Dream, and Rhea Ripley. And I'm sure that he has strong views on other people too. And kind of pointed it at wrestlers. Now, not uh, it might not so much be Bray Wyatt, even though that does kind of – it does actually work with him. But – there are a lot of wrestlers and especially wrestlers that are not there anymore, you know, maybe Ryback included or, or something like that, that put everything at the task with, with John, uh, you know, reason why they didn't achieve what they achieved. And there's probably a lot of stuff writing wise, Vince wise, other than that, obviously. Um, but instead of trying to take the responsibility for themselves, I don't know if it's fair, but it's John Cena saying what he has to say. Ray Wyatt creepily just walks up in the audience and starts to cut it on John. You can say what you want about Bray, but I think, you know, when not not like a year and a half ago where he was just doing those those weird Ultimate Warrior-like things in the back caverns of the fucking arena, those promos. But when he does promos like this and he's able to jump back and forth from that funny-style Bray Wyatt from the Firefly Funhouse and then slowly breaking him down – until the darkness, until they flashed the fiend at the end of it, and just saying to him, like, you know, seven years ago, you broke me, and the fiend's the one who put me back together, and I'm coming for you. And, you know, uh, WrestleMania is going to be a slaughter. So we have kind of your good and evil. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Funny thing, we were talking about merch sellers, Bray Wyatt, number two, after, um, whatchamacallit, Roman. I'm sure John's in that top ten, at least, or if not top five. I just he hasn't been a full-time wrestler in a very long time. But uh, I like this promo back and forth. I like how they set up. I uh, will say it, this this whole interaction made me more excited about their feud than anything they've done before that. Chris, how do you like John Cena and Bray Wyatt at the ending of SmackDown? Well, kind of going back to the writers thing a little bit, it, they give John Cena a lot of leeway, right? And, and he comes off a bit more authentic when he starts putting over certain talent. Um, and he did this even if you go back to the rock promos, like I said earlier, uh, I thought this was really good and a good way to build the match. It is weird that like the fiend doesn't care about the title. Maybe they should put some focus on that. 
uh, as hard as they can because, you know, he just lost that thing to Saudi Arabia. It took a huge – I'm not going to say a huge loss, and he didn't get demolished or anything. I mean, I think a lot of fans think that he it was a squash match. Um, so you got to try to rebuild them a little bit. And, uh, I mean, Cena's a great guy to do it against. And, you know, Cena not being a top merch seller is just he's not been on TV. And as soon as he puts out a new shirt and he's on TV again, he'll be one of the top merch sellers uh, just because he's John Cena. And he's about to be in a Fast and the Furious movie. So it's not really um, his priority or anything right now. But I, Cena's always, to me, been a pretty good promo and uh, if there's anyone that's going to be able to figure out a match with Bray Wyatt, I would hope the minds of Paul Heyman, Vince McMahon, John Cena, and uh, Bruce Pritchard, and those guys would be able to figure out a way for that match to work. The thing I would say about Bray Wyatt is he, in large, has had very shitty matches against very good opponents in a lot of cases. Not all of the time, but he is definitely not one of my favorites in the ring. And he never really figured out the heel style working. If you go back and listen to the show like three years ago, I'm talking about him in the ring. And I think even Jake the Snake had like a, a thing where he was talking about, I wish they would let me train this guy and teach him how to work as a heel. Um, he just kind of, he's just kind of there. I, I don't know, man. I'm just not a huge Bray fan in the ring. I think uh, his ability to cut promos and uh, some of the mindset behind things, very almost very Kevin Sullivan. Except Kevin Sullivan could fucking go in the ring when he needed to. You want an uh, example, the uh, Balls Count Anywhere match between him and Chris Benoit. Fucking great. Uh, Kevin Sullivan and Chris Benoit, that is. But, um, yeah, I'm just – the parts of Bray that are missing is, like, to me, like, the full dedication. Like, I've never – like – Outside of Daniel Bryan dragging that those two matches out of them since he's been back, has he done anything that's really impressed you? The Seth Rollins matches were terrible, and Seth Rollins is a great fucking worker. So I just don't have a lot of faith in him as a top guy because I think people are just going to get bored of his matches, and uh, and eventually they'll get bored with the gimmick in general, just like they have with most of Bray's other characters. He needs to get a jolt, man. He needs to have a good match with John Cena. He needs to you know, put that um, with fans like us that kind of have criticized his wrestling ability, you know, in the past. Um, he can do it. It just, for some reason, between, it's like he's wanting to be creative and it kind of fucks things up. And then that mixing in with the WWE style probably collides with ideas he has. And sometimes he's not able to pull it off. Remember when it was kind of cool at first when he was doing the Exorcist you know, crab walk thing into it. And then he was having problems. I remember he'd fall down kind of, you know, partially, and then he would just kind of drop out of it real quickly because he couldn't do it as much. And, you know, it's not that he's not athletic. It's not that he can't be beastful, but they've got to position him a certain way. He might be more limited like a Bill Goldberg where it's – and, and we've seen it actually the Daniel Bryan matches uh, more so, I would say, than definitely the Seth Rollins matches. But when it's shorter – and he's able to get, let the guy give off a lot of offense and then gives that Undertaker concept where he gets back up still and won't be putting down, that's great. And if, even giving the Undertaker, for an example, you know, Undertaker's one of the best in-ring wrestlers, period, not given the fact that he's almost seven foot feet, you know, seven foot tall. Um, but when you go back, his initial matches as the Undertaker against Hulk Hogan, they were meandering – they were boring. It's like they didn't do a lot. And then he showed that he could fucking get to a different level 
Bray's not done it, and he's been at the fucking company for a very long time. So I think that Bray needs to have a good match with John. I think John's the person to bring it out of him, and this can help it out because he's already over with the kids. He's already over a lot with the marks. You know, I like Bray Wyatt as a character. I love all this character stuff. I love the theme, the creativity concept. But when he gets in the ring, he's not as graceful. Yeah, and I should put this out there. I don't think that he's like a bad worker by he's not doing shit unsafe or anything. It's just he's had very lackluster matches and I and I I'm glad you kind of brought up Undertaker. Maybe some of this is the road agents like we want you to do the Undertaker stuff. But you have to remember that the Undertaker is fucking one of the best workers of all time. <laughs> like yep. it's not you don't just wake up and become the fucking undertaker. It's the same thing when people like, like we're going to book you like stone cold, Steve Austin. You're like, well, thanks. That's basically a death notice. Like you can't just wake up and be stone cold or wake up and be the rock. Like these are once in a lifetime kind of performers. You got to forge your own path. And uh, at least with Daniel Bryan, you, you, like you said, they kept the matches kind of short and Daniel's so great at selling. It makes a lot of sense, but they could have done the same thing with Seth and some of the other people that brace worked with, but it does seem like they're like, no, we want you to be this invincible, unstoppable force. And I guess the idea of this match to me is Superman versus uh, uh bizarro Superman. Cause you know, John Cena has always been criticized as being Superman. And Bray Wyatt's entire gimmick is like, oh, it takes a whole lot to kill me, including giant hammers. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just don't. I mean, the company kind of fucked Bray Wyatt's character up in, in the booking, and maybe that's a little bit why I've soured on it. Uh, oh, but yeah. the promos well, and stuff have been great, and, like, the character's fun. It needs something, and and please don't ever bring that title belt back. Like, please. No. I know you guys want to sell a rubber title to kids and shit, but like, please don't. Like, can we just not? It looks like the Necronomicon not, from fucking Army of Darkness. And like, I get that it was just the match stretched over, but the mask was designed by Tom Savini. I'm sure if you brought him a title belt and you're like, make this very Bray Wyatt, he could have done something super cool with the normal WWE title belt that made it look like what that original concept was. I mean, Tom Savini's fucking phenomenal. <laughs> like, it's just that whole entire that uh, just there's so many things about Bray Wyatt that's frustrating. The red light, kind of how they book him in the ring. I think they maybe ask him to do things that he's not 100% the person to do there's just so much about Bray Wyatt's character for years that you could point out and be like, well, in a lot of ways, I think it's the road agent and the bookers fault for making his matches look like shit. Cause like when he was Husky Harris, he had great matches. So I, I have no fucking idea what they're doing with this guy. Yeah. I think there's a lot of stuff. He, he got this stuff over. We even remember from the beginning, Vince wasn't really having it. It showed to be extremely popular. And now they've kind of sanitized it. I wouldn't be – this could be a situation where if Bray kind of gets hurt from this, Chris, he could be like years from now, you know, doing an interview like, the red light wasn't my idea, that was their fucking idea, you know, these aspects. I wanted to do something different than just the playhouse. And that was supposed to be one aspect of many things, and they were just like do the same thing, do the same type of promo. It just – it's got that WWE – it's kind of like what they try to do when they finally did the the broken universe and just completely just didn't get it compared to Matt Hardy. Like there is a lot of create creative uh, elements that Bray is good with. 
And I think the comparison, you know, we talked about this a couple of years ago. I, I kind of, uh, I think I asked you this a while back about who do you think has suffered by being in the shadow of a past wrestler between Bray Wyatt with comparisons, even on commentary a lot of times, and booking-wise of The Undertaker or Dolph Ziggler with Shawn Michaels? Not that Dolph doesn't do it to himself with the super kicks, but, I mean, that's kind of – a lot of that's commentary's fault in the way that they pushed him. They kind of, like, have to say that. Like, you can think Darby Allen is this generation's stinger Jeff Hardy, but J.R. does think that. He does think those elements. I've heard on his podcast, especially Jeff Hardy. He's not comparing him to Jeff Hardy. and Maybe it's because he can't now that I think about it. But, I, I mean, he could say fucking Jeff. He could say Sting if he wanted to. Well, he doesn't. He, he says that he's an enigma. It's kind of going back and making you think of Jeff Hardy because he's the charismatic enigma, which is the name that JR gave him, and he's kind of feeding it. But the direct call-outs, the direct comparisons, the way that they book Bray, I think it's really hurtful to not let him be his own entity and kind of always have that concept of you're the new Undertaker, quote-unquote, which is something that we kind of, both of us, uh, have been worried about with Aleister Black even. And his future booking. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with you 100% on that. And I think, you know, going back to the past shows, we've definitely talked about this in, in the past. There's only one fucking, like I said earlier, there's only one fucking Undertaker. Let Bray be Bray. He's not the same size as the Undertaker. He is a big dude. Especially if you saw him in that match with Goldberg. Like, that, he's a very big man. Um but I just let him have a little bit of originality and, and maybe just work a wrestling match and not try to overbook it. I mean, you can go back to the Orton Bray Wyatt match with cockroaches in the ring and shit. Like I, there's no way that was his idea for what that match should be no. for a big title mania match. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I, I just have more faith in Bray Wyatt as a performer, I guess, to, for him that to be his idea. He's like, and then we're going to show a bunch of cockroaches on the ring, and it's going to be awesome. You know what I mean? And you're like, going to get out of the ring all scared, that. even though you're fucking Randy Orton. You're going to be scared of yeah. a projection of a, a spider. Even though you're oh. the guy that basically tried to murder multiple people on the show. <laughs> So dumb. Like Randy Orton is the one person that should never be scared of that because he is a murderer. <laughs> he like he basically his whole gimmick was the legend killer <laughs> in which he punted people to the head to kill them. Uh in general, yeah. I don't know, we do the <laughs> need to dive into that again, but my, the point being is I agree with you hundred percent. Like you you I, I get it's it's okay to compare someone to have things about their qualities that you can compare back. It's like, oh, this kind of reminds me of The Undertaker, but not like, oh, this is just, reminds me just like The Undertaker, 1988 or whatever. Like, you can't do that. It's fucking, it's, they do this shit in hockey and other sports too. They're like, oh, this guy's going to be the next, uh, the next Sidney Crosby. And you're like, you can't, don't put that on someone. <laughs> like, not yeah. everyone is going to be the next Stone Cold. Like. It's it's uh it's just a fault. And and I think they do a good job on AEW of making those comparisons, like you said. And I don't think it's a naming thing. I think it is that Jim Ross is just smart enough to know if I do a direct comparison to this p- person week after week after week, people are only going to compare him to that person. 
And if that person is like Austin or the undertaker, well then you've just undercut that guy's entire career because they're going to see him as basically a, to some extent, a cover band. That's not as good as the original. I think that's, that's a good way to look at it is a cover band. That's not as good as the original. That's a really good way of looking at it. And you know, I'm obsessed and I'm sure a lot of wrestling fans are, and I'm, I'm sure you've, you know, fantasy rematched in your head, this person versus this person, similarities with new wrestlers compared to old wrestlers. But saying the words, this is the next blah, blah, blah. Ugh, there's only certain people that actually can live up to that. That's like when I was interviewing Jeff Jarrett and going over his career. I didn't say Sean and, and, and AJ were both Jordan, or I didn't say AJ was Sean, which is usually what happens, the new, the new generation of Sean. AJ's LeBron. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's this generation's one of the best athletes of this generation, while Sean in his time period for wrestling was one of the best comparable to Jordan. That's like the thing, and I'm sure basketball fans have done that into the ground with LeBron versus Jordan or whoever. But when you say someone, even when they haven't got to that level, this person's going to be the next, and they haven't been able to show every aspect of that, and those are huge shoes to fill they might not be able to, and it's not really fair to them or the past performer, you know? Yeah, yeah, I agree with you 100%, man. Like, uh, the, I think that's a good comparison, LeBron, Jordan thing, especially with AJ Styles. They worked in very different times, and, like, Sean is one of the greatest of all time, but, like, go back and watch some AJ Samoa Joe matches and shit. Like, those were pretty great, just not on the same stage that Sean was on, the same platform, very different and very different styles of wrestling uh, in general, as far as the mindset of how wrestling changed over the years, though I think Sean was a little bit of a trendsetter and a lot of that. It's not, it's not one for one comparison. I mean, like Kobe versus uh, like Kobe is going to be the next Michael Jordan. That was a, a thing that was said for years. And then LeBron came along and they did that. It's like, no, they can be the next them. Let them be individuals. Let them create their own path. Like, it's not always one for one. They can't, can't everyone be the greatest of all time. Can't everyone be Wayne Gretzky? Like there's a reason why he was called the great one, because he is the greatest of of all time. Yeah. It's not like, can't everyone show up and be Ric Flair? Like when they try to do the Ric Flair gimmick with Miz and uh, they even tried to do it in TNA uh, to some extent, I think with, I think it was even AJ style book. Yeah, it's you can't. It's and then they try to make him the new Sting, and they try to make AJ the new <laughs> yeah. Sting, and he got all dark and shit, and he was coming out with baseball bats. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's like you don't have to do that, and that's always my constant worry with Bray, and even to some extent with Alistair, which they, luckily, Alistair's under the helm of Paul, which seems like he's kind of alluded around the fact you might get an Undertaker Alistair Black match, but he's not been like this guy is the Undertaker which is, was our big worry with him coming up from NXT is like, no, yep. he's just, he's basically undertaker 2.0. Um, it just, man, undertaker shoes are huge. <laughs> like, like they literally are out of that. Shadow. <laughs> yeah, literally. And, and he, he wrestled mankind with a broken foot and hell in cell, bro. <laughs> um, but I mean, I obviously I love the undertaker, but that that's the problem is that people that love the undertaker, that's always going to be the undertaker. 
to them. It's like people that love Jordan, the defense of like LeBron is like the, one of the greatest players of all time. Right. Like that, I don't think that's a, but there's always going to be that comparison from younger fans to older fans of like, no, fuck LeBron. Michael was better or whatever. Um, but they're not the same person. It's very different. Like things change over time. It's not, it's like, is Del Earnhardt the best NASCAR driver? J- Jimmy Johnson has seven championships. Like it's, they're tied. So who is better? It's just that thing where it's like, no, just sports, shit, wrestling, life, entertainment in general changes. <laughs> it's evolving. Yep. And and the character should evolve. And, and sometimes in WWE, it's, they do put them into a box, especially like they're big stars. They're like, you're either Goldberg, you're either this, or you're either, you're either Goldberg, you're Austin, or you're Taker, or you're Lesnar. They have like four or five set formats that they roll with. And then they try to shove these characters that for some of us have been watching for years, right? Into this little bitty fucking Rubik's cube and then tried to make them spit out an Austin. It's like, well, no, Austin is just Austin. Like you're not going to be able to recreate that. And it's similar with Bray. It's specifically around his matches. Like you don't have to overdo it. And the crazy part is they never did the crazy shit that they do with Bray with Taker. So I don't even understand what they're going for. I don't know, man. Uh, I hope just in all this, Hope Tom Savini and him went and got the rights for all that shit. Uh, it didn't let WWE gobble that um, whole thing up. Because um, who knows? I mean, the thing is, at the same time, Bray is on the top right now. And it seems to me, you know, he got his title run, even though it was very short beforehand. That probably meant more to him, I'm assuming, than this last one, where they just threw the title on him because he was popular. Um you know, I don't think he cares about that as much. I think he just wants to be creative, and I like to see that unfold. You did make a good comparison, since we're talking about comparisons, Kevin Sullivan. Uh, but like we said, comparisons aside, he's got to get better in the ring. Let's move it um, to, to NXT, man. Talk a little bit about this. Um, it was weird because, once again, it was at the Performance Center at Full Sail, but this time, obviously, it had a full crowd. So even though it was compact, I got to say, I liked AEW a lot. I thought that it kind of, there's some stuff I liked, but I thought a lot of stuff they they did already, it seemed kind of more stagnant, I would say, than NXT. NXT kind of, especially at the end with that brawl between Johnny and Tommaso, you know, kind of had me going. They had my interest. So since we always do that because it's a Wednesday, Wednesday Night Wars, I will say that AEW has been beating them a lot to me lately, but this one, this week, it kind of once slowed down, and I think NXT kind of, even though it was at the Performance Center, which is weird, and now they're going to be there permanently uh, with no audience, but, you know, they got to do that type of stuff. Like we've said, um, the show was aired out there, and they started off with Keith Lee against Cameron Grimes. Now, I'm watching on two televisions, you know, because I have my own, you know, uh, fucking uh, sports bar thing, I guess, going down in my room, but I usually play video <laughs> games, and I'll, I'll watch TV, but with these nights, I watch both shows. So the opening to Dynamite did have me a little more enthralled, uh, but I did check out this match again. And, I mean, no one said Cameron Grimes is not a good wrestler. (laughs) He is a damn good wrestler. Um, I really liked him. The thing is, he had a way better name, and I can't remember what it was now. And it wasn't Cameron Grimes in the indies. But on MLW and Impact, really enjoyed this dude. And Keith Lee would end up winning – 
he went after the pounce, followed by a big bang catastrophe after the match. Damian Priest attacked Lee from behind with the baton. I love how I know for a fact now that that the Razor Scott Hall, big fan of Damian Priest. Damian Priest, big fan of Scott Hall. I wonder if Scott was like, "Hey man, just you know, just take a take a take, take something to the back of his leg, man. You just you just get like a little baton or something, you know." Because uh, that he used to freaking take a taser. I'm I'm expecting Damian Priest, Chris, to come out with a taser at some point. He attacked Lee, but they did a smart thing where Dominic Dijakovic came out, made the save. Lee didn't see it. He was trying to help Lee out, and Lee uh, gave him the spirit bomb, basically. But uh, weird at the Full Sail Center, uh, but I really also enjoyed this match, especially when I got to check, out, check it out again, if you will, uh, between Keith Lee and Cameron Grimes. What would you think? So... With, I, I I literally did think that NXT was a little bit of the better show this week, uh, just wrestling wise. But I will say that you also have a little bit of a hangover from the pay per view. That's kind of always the thing, right? Like the show after the pay per view is always the setup show. So I'll give um, I'll give AEW a little bit of a break. Their next pay per view is almost four months away. Um, Keith Lee's fucking incredible. <laughs> like, I'm surprised that Vince, like, that's not the guy that Vince has immediately brought up. It just seems like total Vince guy based on everything we've heard in the past. Um, that being said, Dijakovic and, and Keith Lee should be separated heavily just because we've seen it so much. Um. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Like, do you, do you think that they've put them together way too often, especially considering the talent they have on NXT? Yeah, man, I do. And I also don't like that. Apparently the North American title picture is just Damian priest, Dominic Dutchkovic, Keith Lee, Cameron Grimes, and Killian Dane. It seems that's all they're doing. Yeah. And, yeah, and that's I think that's more of my problem with this. Like Cameron Grimes was great in this match. Like this was a really fun match. Um but it's also we've seen these three smash together so many times. It's just that has that feel of Vince smashing people together way too often. Like Keith Lee's an incredible wrestler. You can put him against someone that's not necessarily the same size as him and he would still have a good fucking match. I completely agree. All right, we had a ladder match qualifier. Mia Yim defeated Dakota Kai, which I did not expect to happen, but I guess it's good for, you know, the end of their feud, at least of now, that Dakota Kai is taken out of the ladder match. And later on uh, in the night, we'd find out that Tegan Knox won to go into it. So we don't have to have that as just like a main part of that ladder match that's happened at TakeOver. Uh, but... Rachel Gonzalez interfered, but was caught, causing a distraction that allowed Kai to roll up Yim for a pin. Uh, the referee didn't turn around in time, however, and Yim was able to escape and hit the co-breaker to win the match. Um, really big fan of me and Yim. I don't – what was she, Jade in uh, Impact? I've seen a lot of her past stuff now, too, and she's a badass wrestler. Really like Dakota Kai, too. I think the women's division NXT, man, it's ridiculous. It's very stacked. Um, I will say that. And uh, this heel turn, mixed with now her having her own diesel with Rachel Gonzalez, has made me like her more so when she was just like the the Kiwi warrior princess, whatever the fuck, beforehand. But 
How did you like this match, and how do you like me and Ian moving on to the latter match over Dakota Kai? Well, it's weird to give someone an enforcer and then they lose a match. So that part I didn't necessarily like, but um, that's a good it point. Did, uh, put emphasis on like the ref abilities in, in, in NXT versus AEW where the ref's like, Hey, you can't do that. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> so there's at least that. Um, no, I, I like Mia Yim and I think that she's going to be great in that ladder match. Um, the Dakota Kai thing is a little weird for me just because I don't know where they're going with their character, but the women's division is so still in NXT. It's, it's great. And they're, there's just so much they can do um, with that entire division, especially moving Shayna out so you're not stuck around kind of a Brock Lesnar dominant character. And uh, similar with Asuka. I mean, it was the same thing with her. But So, yeah, I'm looking forward to where they're going. I think that ladder match is going to be fucking incredible just because of the talent they have on that roster. And uh, the one takeaway I will say from this is, like, I wish Mia Yim wasn't doing the code breaker as a finisher. I just – it. 90 times out of 10, it, it, or 90 times out of 100, it just looks like shit to me. Like, I've never liked that move, and I was kind of glad when Jeremy switched, switched it. It just always looks very botchy. It's definitely not a good regardless finisher. Regardless of how it good you look, do it. It's just like uh, Dolph Ziggler's, um, what is it, that he does. And it's not that it, uh, he makes it look fine, but it just doesn't look effective in actuality. I forgot what the hell, but where he takes the head. Uh, the, the, the zigzag. <laughs> They both look completely ineffective. Like, that that wouldn't do jack shit. And you're right. Yeah, whoever it, does Codebreaker, except for Ricochet when he does the one leg, but, I mean, it's Ricochet, so. And he uses it as, like, a signature. I don't even think he uses it as a finisher. I mean, like as far as I know, Jericho, at least in America, Jericho was the first person I see seen do it. And sometimes it depends on who he's working with. It comes off looking great. But other times, even in AEW, or uh, New Japan, it's just this, like, fucking move that's very easy to botch and hard to take a bump off of, and it kind of looks like shit. So I would, you know, if I was me, yeah, I'd maybe pick something different. Even to this, like, I, I almost feel like he showed up in New Japan and did the code breaker, and they're like, that's not a finisher. And then he changed to that elbow <laughs> or whatever. You know what I mean? It does seem like that, because he was still doing the code breaker when he was with Kevin Owens and uh, – and WWE, it's like he went to New Japan, and they're like, "That's not a fucking finisher, here, bro." Like, <laughs> that's very true. All right, so we had a weird thing that came up next, Chris. We had a pretty damn good match with Kushida and Raul Mendoza, uh, but Kushida got him with the armbar. If they continue to build up Kushida, I really feel like in a year, Kushida and Austin Aries are going to be two of the top guys in NXT. If we do have any, I'm not going to say call ups, but certain people have been there long longer than they need to, and they end up leaving. That's your next crop of talent, along obviously with did you just, Lee and did a lot you of say, uh, Did you say Austin Aries? Is that a bold prediction? Did he sign, or did I no, miss something? No, Austin, Austin Theory. Damn it. Uh, okay, I was like, well, it's not that far-fetched that they would re-sign Austin Aries. So I was like, wait, fuck, did Austin Aries re-sign, and I missed it? <laughs> that would be awesome. I like Austin Aries, even though he's a fucking nutbag. Um, he's a great wrestler, and he's a good heel. Um, yeah, and he, he's this, perfect for that division. Like the cruiserweight division specifically, he fits right in and is is a great heel. So we're not saying anything. I wasn't saying anything negative about Aries. I just thought that he had re-signed or something, and I was like, what? Wait, what? <laughs> no, no, no breaking news. Sorry about that, guys. Thanks for, uh, thanks for hearing that. Awesome theory. I think that him and Kushida are two of the guys in a year that will be 
top guys over at NXT, I should say. But um, afterwards, someone's videotaping. I forgot who it was necessarily. They were cutting a promo in the parking lot of the Performance Center. And Raul Mendoza just gets kidnapped in front of everyone. No one does a goddamn thing. Like, they're running over like, hey, stop. But by two luchadors. They grab him and they put him in their friggin', you know, SUV and drove off. I made a joke to you that it's going to be a part of the new Breaking Bad episode that we don't know about. Like, what the hell was that? But how did you also <laughs> like the match between Kushida and Raul Mendoza? I will say, if this is a way to get Raul Mendoza more character, great, because he's he's kind of the forgotten one. You know, beforehand, it was him, Humberto Carrillo, working a bunch and stuff like that in 205 Live and on NXT. And he's fucking great in the ring. He's a great luchador wrestler, but just wondering where the hell they're going with this. I Maybe, maybe that's... Um, Maybe, uh, what's her name, uh, stole him uh, to be a part of her faction over on the main thing. Maybe this is all uh, uh, S- Selena, Selena's work, Chris. Yeah, I mean, that would be really cool if they're building a main faction. But my, like, watching it live, my immediate thought was like, oh, no, the Dark Order. <laughs> Did his contract end? <laughs> Is he going to be one of Evil Uno's lackeys? Um, it did kind of come off Dark Order-ish, but, you know, if the idea is that you're going to have, you know, two Lucha heels like Angel and uh, Andrade donning the mask to kidnap a guy that makes him part of their crew or something, I could see that. That could be a lot of fun. Um, and, and I don't disagree with you. Sometimes, like, putting the Lucha mask on does give you a – different persona like Rey Mysterio has never been great on the mic even back in his WCW days I think he's gotten better over the years uh, obviously since he was like the best baby face promo in WWE from last year uh, but um, something about that the mask and, and just being associated with goodness in Lucha most of the time um, can't add a bit like, of flavor and character to you it's kind of like the mask represent like a superhero aspect but like like you said the goodness Whereas face paint, which is a very similar concept, they're good guys, but they're usually like kind of like Spider-Man compared to Batman, if you will, but more like the gothic types a lot of times, like the more darker heroes, if you will. Yeah, and, and and when you look at like Lucha um, in general, the, the masked characters are generally always the good guys, like always the good guys. And your your heels are always the ones that are demasked, and, and then you get mask versus hair, and that's how you build the feud. So I I have no problem with this. I think they're going to do something really cool with Raul Mendoza, and uh, it, it'll benefit him, if anything, just because they haven't done much with him. Um, so, yeah, cool overall segment, but I definitely was like, oh, God, the Dark Order got to him. Because, you know, Wednesday versus Wednesday. <laughs> and also, Kushida's fucking phenomenal. Everyone knows I'm a huge Kushida mark, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about how Kushida is fucking great. But the thought of him and Austin Theory being top guys in NXT, I, I think, is uh, very viable. Um, it sucks that Alex Shelley did not want to stick around for a tag team because that would have immediately been the best tag team in WWE, yep. like hands down. I, I love Anderson and Gallows. I love New Day. I love the Usos. But those two are fucking phenomenal, and I followed their work for a long-ass time. And even the one-off match that they had just kind of thrown together was great. So I'm just I'm, – I'm still just really sad about that day. Yeah, I agree with you, man. Maybe him and Saban are unfortunately just a little bit beat up at this point. I mean, they're both obviously kind of cutting back a bit. 
especially with Alex because he's now a full trainer over out there. But I'm sure we can see more of them, you know? Yeah, I hope so. And also, Shelly's still working in the modern days. He has, like, a graphic design company. It seems like his life evolved way outside of wrestling, which is good for him. But it also makes me very sad because I would love to see, like, him and Kushida or, you know, full-on Motor City machine guns have a run somewhere for – even if it's just six months, just just for my fandom would be great. Yep, I agree with you. But let's move on. All right, Rhea Ripley uh, cut a promo about how she'll win the NXT Women's Championship match at WrestleMania. Almost was immediately interrupted by Charlotte. Um, it didn't. It, it just went really quickly. Charlotte tried to talk trash. Ripley attacked her, but Flair won the fight and put Ripley into the figure four around the ring post. I thought Charlotte was awesome in this, and I love it when she goes in this like it's like tunnel vision for her, where she's just like, "No, I'm going to decimate this person. No one's going to fucking stop me." And uh, I. I'm I'm looking forward to this match, Chris. How'd you like this promo? And I hope that that Charlotte does the finger four around the uh, the ring post more often. I don't think she's ever pulled that out. I know that's more of a Bret Hart thing than Rick, but it's it looks so nasty. Like it looks like it has to hurt a bit. Yeah, I know. I, I know Brett did it, and Rick did it. I think maybe even after Brett, after seeing it in WCW, he used to do it as a heel move to like break the other person's leg, basically you know, in, in one of those angles and stuff. It is, it's just a great, it just fucking looks awesome. Looks way better than goddamn code breaker. I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> all of that side, Charlotte's great. And, uh, we, uh, if you listen to the show Thursday, I talked about the, the, like you said, with the tunnel vision does have this Randy Orton vibe to it. So if she channels that a little bit and, and can kind of narrow it in and, and get a little methodical with it as being just a destroyer. It's very, very believable. Um, just she's fucking Charlotte's great. I still don't understand why people don't like Charlotte Flair. Like I'm still baffled by this. I think she's, I mean, outside of Japan, she's definitely one of the best female wrestlers of all time. Like it's, it's baffling, baffling Dane. It is baffling. I agree with you. All right, we have the other qualifier match for the ladder match at TakeOver with Tegan Knox and Deanna Parasso. I really like Deanna Parasso. hope she gets – she seems to be – they're showing her more. She's losing, but they're, they're using her more. And she's another one, just like a little hidden gem amongst the women division. And you have Tegan Knox, who I think is phenomenal in the ring. Uh, now, the shiniest wizard, we've, we've said, should be, you know, outlawed because of the size of her leg braces. That, kidding aside, Tegan won – and she's going to probably be one of the people uh, to watch, I would say, on the uh, TakeOver match. Uh, I just think that she's great in the ring. we got her, Mia Yim, Chelsea Green so far. There will be three more uh, qualifiers until we find out the other, you know, the six people going into the match. But I thought this was a good match. And, uh, yeah, um, Tegan Knox, what do you think, Chris? Do you think this is a little bit of a, um, a rebuild of Tegan Knox, especially coming out of – like Rumble, I, I like this match. I thought it was great, and like you said, the, the women's division in NXT is so deep, and uh, I kind of like what they're doing with Tegan Knox. Outside of like the fact she has a heel finisher with her giant leg brace, uh, <laughs> but do you think that this is a like a rebuild of her, or like just trying to get her? I, I don't know, like giving her some wins essentially. I think that her and Dakota. Uh, were two shiny baby faces. They had enough of them. They just kind of both came off with those. 
And this feud between them, I think NXT, yeah, they've been rebuilding both of them, Dakota, to come off as a pretty decent heel, um, dirty heel, you know, uh, chicken shit heel, if you will. And then Tegan being this more baby face with an edge. Uh, she's got more aggression, you know, she's, she's hitting harder. She's always kind of had that in-ring style, but now they're matching it with their attitude. I think they totally did that on purpose because NXT is way smarter creatively half the fucking time because, you know, Triple H and William Regal uh, structure it and shit. But, um, yeah, I definitely think that was their intentions. Yeah, it it just – when Tegan Knox first came back, man, the crowd popped so hard, and I was like, oh, they're going to give her a massive push. But then Rhea Ripley showed up, and it's like, oh, this is kind of on the back burner until further notice. <laughs> and now it seems yeah, like man. they're trying to build her back up. They have layers in the women's division, but every layer's got flavor, if you understand what I'm saying. And I just realized that probably came out creepy. I wasn't even thinking about the female wrestlers. So just want to just wanna do the whole, like, hey, never mind that. I, all I'm saying is, like, you know, you can go down to the Deanna Prasso's and, like, that level of, of talent and then keep on going up so you get Dakota Kai, Tegan Knox, that level, and then Bianca Belair and then Rhea Ripley – it's just good on every level. It's like a quesadilla. I'm going to stop comparing this I, to food. Shut, shut me up. Chris. So I, I, I will say this. They just had a ton of, uh, ton of talent come in for an audi- like uh, for a tryout. I almost said audition, which would have been terrible. Um, they came in for – they were coming in for a tryout. Paige's brother was on that list, but obviously because of the flight issues with coronavirus was banned. Uh, um, so I, I could see I him coming back out family. for a tryout. Yeah, so I could see that it like it, with that movie kind of on the cusp and all those different things. Regardless of how I feel about that movie, which was that it was dog shit. Uh, oh, <laughs> um, Yeah, we'll agree to disagree on that one. Um, I, I think I couldn't separate my wrestling fandom and the fact that I've watched Paige her entire career for the most part. Uh, outside of all of that. Um, it's interesting to see that him coming in for a performance center tryout again, and that would be a great story to tell, especially with Paige coming back. So I think they're kind of setting that up, which is interesting. But there's a what I was getting at is there's a ton of even more female athletes that are coming into that division. So it is great to see NXT and WWE have that focus on the women's division. And I think Tegan Knox has a big potential, especially because you would assume Rhea Ripley is probably going to win at Mania. That's my thought, and then move to the main roster, and then you continue the feud with Charlotte. Yeah, man, and even if you go to UK, dude, just like Kaylee Ray and fucking Tony Storm and and Piper Niven and just so much talent, just everywhere. Anyways, uh, last match, NXT Tag Team Championship match. The Broserweights won against the Undisputed Era. I mean, this was a good match back and forth, but really just kind of just riddle and done uh, withstood interference from the grizzled young veterans, but O'Reilly, uh, but put O'Reilly away with the bird asleep, followed by an Inziguri combination that they're doing now. And uh, yeah, I guess these are our three main tag teams that are in a feud. I'm assuming this is what's going to happen at Takeover. Thought it was a good match, obviously because of the talent involved, uh, but it wasn't anything to go home about. I don't think. I I just I like the grizzled young vets in the ring, but I don't see the appeal at all as being one of the top tag teams. I just, I, I guess I just don't get it. Um, kind of but they're great in the ring. 
Yeah, and they have good matches and shit, so it's not anything about their in-ring ability. I think there's there's just a very big lack of crowd connection. But I love the Broserweights, and uh, just more interaction from them always, please. All right, so doing the breakdowns like I normally do, thanks to Uprox, but I might remember more while I'm going over this thing. The ending was fucking nuts. It really set up and put a hell of a lot more emphasis in this feud that was a lot for a lot of people, you know, not me included because they put on great matches, but didn't have as much relevance anymore. Maybe it gotten a bit stale between the two, but holy shit. We knew that Johnny Gargano was going to make an announcement. Tommaso Ciampa was seen early in the night. He was like, oh, he's going to make an announcement. Well, I'll be right there. And he just fucking beelined it. Uh, he came into the ring, uh, demanded answers from Johnny. Johnny was on a video screen from uh, in, within the performance center. And I love that Tommaso Ciampa is just, like, breaking it down. He's like, wait, I know where that is. And he's just looking at Johnny, and Johnny's just going on this, me, 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 you know, doing this thing. And then he just dips. And I guess Johnny's not paying attention on his end. Tommaso Ciampa just is, like, right behind him. They brawl. Let me just say this. For a company that's about, and even back, you know, on Wednesday, it was very well known with all this, that, that they might lose a good bit of money because of WrestleMania. Um they let them just trash the performance center, you know, breaking posters, breaking glass, you know, just throwing fucking gym equipment like it's nothing. Uh, it was it was a pretty damn good brawl. And these guys, you know, they're close, so they have a hell of a lot more. Um, they're careful with each other, but they're also, like, they're willing to put more into it because they know each other. So you could just tell that these guys are beating the living shit out of each other. I thought it was done at one point. And then it kept on going, and then it ended up in the ring in front of the whole crowd on top of that balcony, and we all thought Johnny was going to get the one-up on him, and nope, Tommaso got him with the air raid crash, very reminiscent, there was a lot of throwbacks to their feud, this is going to be what they wanted to do a year ago, what they couldn't do when Tommaso Ciampa got injured, and uh, it's, it's kind of weird that's a year later, but that's just how it's going to be. Both guys were just annihilated, and that's how they went off on NXT. I thought it was uh, pretty fun. Uh, What did you think about it, Chris? I like it a lot. And and what I will say, um, just because we like doing comparisons on this show, people that hate Triple H should hate Tomasa Ciampa because they book him. Very similar to the way that they book Triple H, let's say, circa 2001 to I hate interrupting you especially when you just get on a roll, but you just reminded me of something. Is it just me, or is this almost like Johnny in a lot of ways, he's kind of like, he's like the super baby face, but he's also like a little bit unhinged in his head. He's always had that element to him. It's like a, it's like a reverse concept of like, if Mick Foley during his thing with Triple H was like, why the fuck are you cheering for Triple H? I've gotten destroyed. Parts of my life has been fucked up. Like if that feud had an opposite reaction almost, you know? Yeah, it definitely comes off like that. And, and Ciampa's fucking great. I love Ciampa. I'm also a Triple H fan, so I like the, the way they've booked him just definitely reminds me of that time period of Triple H, and I thought the segment was great. And, uh, you know, I didn't think I would be ready for this feud again, but here I am. 2020 Chris is definitely ready for this feud again, just because I know they're going to have great fucking matches. And, uh They've they've changed the characters around. They've done a really great job of of making Gargano hateable. Though I mean, it's always going to be kind of hard to hate Gargano, but um, overall, I, I've really enjoyed this and I, I like the build. And 
um, the match or the uh, the ending of the show in general. I thought we we went out with a with a bang. Uh, the Tegan Knox match, the Broser Wades, that match, and then uh, Choppa and Gargano's interaction. It was just great. This was a solid-ass show. To me, it was better than AEW. I love AEW. You don't take anything away from them. But if I'm And I've buried NXT on certain weeks, but to me, NXT was a better show this week. Yep, I would agree with you. And uh, we got about 15 minutes, I would say, to go over um, AEW, so I'll go a little more speedy through it, but... I do feel, like we said, they kind of put in neutral. They enhanced. They didn't do anything bad, per se. The ending was very predictable and something that they've done a lot. Um, you know, they got their storylines over and forwarded. It started off with one of my favorite things, a backstage interview recorded earlier today with Tony Schiavone and Adam Page about who his tag team partner. That's actually one thing. I was extremely underwhelmed, and I love Dustin, but I was that was kind of like, really? But that type of bait-and-switch mentality. Um he was basically asking Adam who's, whose partner is going to be later on. And you, he just starts talking about shit about the young bucks. They're in frame right next to him. And he's actually not even acknowledging as if they're right there. And he, uh, you know, he doesn't trust or, or you know, uh, he needs someone that he can trust. And he's like, Oh wait, did you guys think I was talking about you? <laughs> no. Are you kidding me? I need someone I can trust. I've known for a long time. Like there's no way like, you know, and I thought it was funny. He gets off, he kind of leaves, and you have that rivalry with Matt Jackson where he's like, what a dick. And they keep on just peppering this storyline going forward. And I think that they, the, the uh, outcome of it later on that night with the safer Matt Jackson flicking him off was pretty awesome. I, I like this. I, I'm assuming Nick's leaving. Um, I know that his wife, if she already didn't, uh, she was giving birth. And he's out for a little while, so that's why they injured him off the show. So, this gives Matt a feud sort of to do with because Kenny also coincidentally is injured with his hand. He broke his hand so they can kind of give those guys a chance to work together. And I think we'll get a fucking good match, probably a brawl uh, between Matt Jackson and Adam Page within the future. How'd you like this opening, Chris? That was great, but I also wanted Adam Page's uh, tag team partner to just be a pitcher of beer. With like a shirt on it or something. Oh my like god! Like I assumed they were just gonna do that. I was like, man, if he comes out with a pitcher of beer as a tag partner, that's gonna be so fucking great. But yeah, I love the opening promo and I like the match a lot. And I have no problem with the injury angle. I think it's good to take care of your employees, and that's what they're doing here in this situation. Give them some time off. Let them go home and be with his kid. You know, freshly born baby. That's that's neat for some people. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, no. Uh, it, it's 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 just really cool, and I think there's a great feud that can come out of it. And uh, as we've seen with the Young Bucks in the past, they're capable of working singles matches. So um, it sucks that uh, Kenny Omega is injured, and I think that lends itself to a lot of Jim Cornette broken jazz hand jokes. But <laughs> I, I, I've liked what they've done with Adam Page thus far. And I think that they're building him really, really well. And that to me, he's just a baby face. Like at this point, I don't, you can't turn him heel. So Kenny should come no. back and probably be the heel in my opinion. Um, and, and the young bucks, as I, as I've said for multiple weeks now. Yeah. Kenny's better as a heel, man. I'm telling you, I agree with that too. Um, so we had Cody going against Ortiz. Pretty good match to start off the night. Uh, just with a lot of stuff that's going on. And I will say, this is kind of what I was talking about. The whole entire – when you have a bunch of dudes come out and they're all brawling, 
and WWE, I've given them so much shit about this in the past. You know, it kind of, you, you got diminishing returns if you do it too much. And with all the storylines going involved in this, it works. But I've realized AEW is doing this a lot. NXT sometimes does it a lot. Obviously, we're on SmackDown. You know, Raw, we were complaining about with fucking the, the way that they ended it. But, like, the way they ended it was the same people doing the same match. Just, you know, so many people coming out. Everyone's fighting. And then, you know, it just... I don't know. It kind of it just gets a little bit stale to me after a while, even if I like what's going on between people. But break down the match. Uh, first, Lance Archer and Jason Snake Roberts entered the arena shortly after the match began and watched from the front row. Very weird reveal. I got to be honest with you. And I don't know what's going on creatively, but you guys said that Jake was going to be in two weeks with his new person, which would have been where we're getting the actual reveal of the leader of the Dark Order, which is on this next week, which was supposed to be, obviously, in Luke Harper's hometown. I just feel like, did you guys not know where you're going exactly with this? Um, I don't know. I mean, they're really tight usually at NXT, but I just realized, like, weren't they supposed to be on next week? And, wait, it would have made more sense with Luke Harper in that situation, or did they know it was going to be Lance Archer? And they're like, oh, we're going to do the exalted one. He's going to be at the next week. And I'm like... So, okay, so I guess there's a good chance that Brody Lee is going to be the exalted one. I don't know. There's a lot going on in this, Chris. Actually, if you want to break any of that stuff down before we go through the match, uh, you feel free. How do you feel about Lance Archer's reveal in the audience? So it's one of two things. It's either a swerve or they felt they had to pull the trigger in front of an audience. So they either pulled the trigger early because of uh, the coronavirus threat and knowing that you would do an empty arena thing for a big reveal. <laughs> hashtag WWE um, or he's just part of Jake the Snake Roberts crew and Jake the Snake is also still going to add Luke Harper and Luke Harper is the guy but Lance Archer is part of that crew I think it's just one of those two things and uh, as far as Cody versus Ortiz is fucking great and uh, I like Cody winning with the figure four here thought it was a good match overall um, and I like the interaction after after the fact as well yeah, so basically from all this, they had a pretty damn good match. I love Ortiz. I think he's animated as hell. Really enjoy his stuff. At one point, Archer almost jumped over the rails to get involved with the match, but Jake Roberts held him back, uh, and the two of them left. Love. I even think that Arn Anderson and Jake just like in eye distance staring at each other a bit throughout it. It's, this is going to be a fun interaction. This is going to be a fun thing. Lance Archer is going to be – if they want to make – Brody Lee may be a baby face, and that's the reason why. Lance Archer is a damn good heel. He's already good on the mic. They can really season him up. That's pretty awesome for him, regardless if they add Brody Lee or whatever they do. But anyways, afterwards, Santana attacked Cody after the match, but Arn Anderson, Matt Jackson, Kenny Omega all ran in. Chris Jericho, Jake Hager, and Sammy Guevara appeared on the big screen, and Jericho cut a promo about their upcoming Inner Circle versus Elite match with Blood and Guts. Jericho revealed to his group, that they, they were like, he's like, have you guys wondered where Nick Jackson was? Why did he, he didn't run out there? And they pan out, and they have the garage door. I'm pretty sure I saw something in fucking Walking Dead of how they killed a zombie like this. Just smashed on Nick Jackson's head. <laughs> and obviously he has fake blood coming not only from his nose, but his mouth and his ear. Like they slammed it on him. And, yeah, that was a way to get Nick off, obviously, because of his pregnant wife. Um, but really effective. Cody, Matt, and Omega ran to help Nick. And they, you know, the inner circle left 
uh, in the dust, and they all stretched him out and went. And we all thought they left, uh, obviously, to go to the paramedics uh, to the hospital. But we'd find out differently. What do you think about this? That was a great uh, moment, and I like that they're just leaning into the bloods and guts shit that Ben's poked fun at. They're like, yeah, no, what? We're going to see a guy get killed with a garage door this week. Don't care. Sorry, Vince. <laughs> like, <laughs> if our network doesn't have a problem with it, it's not our problem. Um, so I, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. And um, Sammy Guevara is, is, is just awesome. By the way, he was great in the segment. And uh, I have a friend out there that's not – hes he used to be a huge wrestling fan, not as much anymore. And he's talking to me about this Jake the Snake Roberts fucking promo for the past two weeks. He's like, I've watched this thing like ten times. Jake the Snake is the best. So uh, good to see the Jake and Arn, the masters of the GDT, so to speak, uh, staring at each other. <laughs> Even if we know we're not getting a match, it's still fun to see. Yeah, I think we should, we could get some DDT spots, though, if they were able to work that out. I don't know. Those guys are old as fuck. Um, all right, I'm realizing we're not going to have time for all this, so I'm going to try to run down the whole card, and Chris, I'll just give it to you if you want to comment on it. We had a match with Nyla Rose, B. Priestley, going against Chris Statlander and Akira Shida. Uh, the, uh, the heels won. B. Priestley afterwards pushed over or gave Nyla her finisher and grabbed the title and then threw it to her, so... I'm really, really big fan of B. Priestley. She's a badass. Um, you know, her and Will Ospreay in a match together against another badass wrestling couple would be cool. Maybe Adam Cole and um, uh, what's her name, uh, the dentist. Uh, in the, sto- the the style of the Dark Order, they had a recruitment thing, but it was actually fake. And it was Christopher Daniels talking shit about there being no exalted one. That would be challenged by Evil Uno um, and Stu Grayson saying that he would be on, like I said, the next week. We had an awesome match with MJF, the Butcher the Blade, going against Jurassic Express. Um, and MJF tapped out, stunt with the salt of the earth. I love the spot in the corner with uh, MJF and um, Marco Stunt. Marco Stunt continues to grow on me a lot. Uh, we had an awesome little sketch with Darby Allen, uh, basically insinuating he was going to kill uh, Sammy Guevara and then drag his body across the car. <laughs> Holy shit, this kid's creative as fuck. That was awesome. Darby, uh, then, Darby Allen's awesome, and and so is fucking uh, Bea Priestley. And yeah, this has been great. This was a pretty good show. Now that I'm looking back at it, it did. It definitely had some good stuff. Um, Tony Schiavone interviewed uh, Britt Baker, and she was just insulting the shit, going into polygamy jokes, going into uh, the fact that the whole fucking Salt Lake City might be related. You know, their teeth and stuff like that. Big Swole came out, talked a bunch of shit. Uh, and Baker ran off. Uh, I love when she was hiding behind Tony Schiavone. That was pretty funny. Um, and they also <laughs> alluded to their they alluded to their boyfriends within it. You know that was that was pretty funny. Uh, you're only famous because your boyfriend's a wrestler, and she's like, uh, I'm married to him, baby. I thought that was actually kind of cheesy but funny. Death Triangle actually showed their move, the Death Triangle against Joey Janela and Private Party. Pretty cool, but I don't think Ray Phoenix actually was uh, in on the uh, planning of that, I'm assuming, because he was like, ah, oh, fuck it, I'm going to do a cross face. Like, but it was still pretty cool. <laughs> um, Rose, the Lucha Brothers not got, doing something as planned? <laughs> yeah, no. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then in the backstage interview, Dustin said, like I said, he was going to be the partner. Um, we had a montage with Sean Spears and them looking for people. Um, go Simon Miller from Cultaholic. Big fan of him. He's a really nice dude, and he reviews wrestling. Lucha Bros versus Best Friends. 
is going to be uh, involved in the Exalted one next week. And then we had an awesome interview with Moxley that kind of ended it. And Paige and Rhodes went against Chris Jericho and beat him and Guevara after Paige got the buckshot. I told you the ending. Big brawl, big schmoz. And then they were about to do the same thing they did to Moxley to Paige. Matt Jackson comes back, makes a save, and then flicks off Paige. You got two seconds to give any last words, Chris, and say goodbye to everyone. Good show. Love you guys. Uh, if you like hockey, check out Sketch Threats podcast. We're doing a live show later. You can hit me at Chris R. Patton on Twitter. Everyone have a great weekend. Thank you for listening. Well, we'll talk to you guys next Wednesday. Have a good weekend. Be safe. Be clean. Love you guys. And have a great evening. Peace be with you. I forgot what I normally say. All right. Bye. Peace out. Let the geek vibes be with you.